Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how obsessed we are with time? Every morning when you wake up, what's like the first thing you do? You like look at your alarm clock to make sure the time is right because you have to make sure that you get to that first appointment or meeting or scheduled event of your day. We are so obsessed with time in our lives. Have you ever counted the number of clocks in your house? This week, I counted the number of clocks in my house. I have like 18 clocks in my house. I don't have 18 rooms in my house. I have more rooms than clocks. There are clocks in my kitchen. How about your kitchen? Your kitchen like has tons of clocks. You have an oven clock? You have a microwave clock? You have a coffee maker clock? You have a clock on the wall? Our family room has like three clocks. Who needs three clocks in their family room? The wall behind me by now like has 25 clocks on it. And I didn't even count watches or cell phones. How many of you this morning are wearing a watch? Raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you this morning have some type of smartphone device, iPad, uh, right, time, watch on there, right? Clock, no, raise your How many of you are wearing a watch and have some kind of smartphone with you? Raise both hands. I got you to raise your hands in church. <laughs> that was a trick, and I got you. Now you can do it in songs, too. You can get crazy. But we are so obsessed with time. I think we're so obsessed with time because we realize how important time really is. And we all recognize that we really have too much to do and too little time to do it. We're pulled, aren't we? Our schedules are full. How many of you in your PDA, in your, in your smartphone, have this church service scheduled? February 12th from 10.45 to 12, hopefully 11.50. How many of you people, <laughs> how many of you people have that scheduled in your phone today? Anybody? Oh, look at that. Perfect. I have to set my time because we're obsessed. It's valuable. So what's the solution? What is it that we do? Well, time management experts will tell you to identify the things that are important in your life, prioritize them, and then focus on those things. I think the Apostle Paul this morning is going to be our time management expert. So take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. It's found on page 921 in the Bible that the church provides. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the one that's in the seat rack in front of you and follow along. It'll kind of help you follow as we go through what Paul has to say to us this morning. We're looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Those are the verses that we're looking at this morning. And I want you to know that Paul really isn't taking up a new subject here in these verses. Since the beginning of chapter 12, he has been explaining to us what it means to be a living sacrifice for Jesus, what it means to be renewing our minds. 
We saw the one area that needs intense work is in the area of loving others. For the last few weeks, for the last couple of months, we've been looking at these 10 commandments of love. And when we talk about loving others, we need to recognize that loving others doesn't occur in a vacuum. We don't, on one hand, have a love others box, and on the other hand, have a spiritual disciplines box, and on even another hand, have a service box. We're not able and we should not compartmentalize our lives. That's the point that Paul is making in these verses. As living sacrifices, we are being transformed by the love of Jesus in our lives, and we are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the renewing of our minds, and we're becoming more and more like him so that we can live our lives for him, so that we can love others, so that we can serve the people that God has brought into our lives. We also looked at a few months ago that what it looks like to be a living sacrifice in our relationship to government. This is part of the renewing of our minds. Now, I know there's a joke there talking about government and the renewal of our minds, but I'm going to let that go for right now. We're going to move on. Here, Paul is going to give us in practical terms how we apply these things in our daily lives. How is it that we are to spend our time? Another way of saying this is how do we go from being in spiritual darkness to walking in the light so that we can live this beautiful life that God has designed for us? How do we go from spiritual darkness to walking in the light and living our lives for Jesus? Let's see what Paul has to say beginning in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, in reading this paragraph, there is one sentence that jumps out at me. There is one sentence in this paragraph that is the summary sentence. Look at the second sentence of verse 12. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we to spend our time? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we to live the life that God has for us? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we to love and serve others? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we to be living sacrifices? How are we to renew our not minds? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The rest of the verses around that summary sentence explain to us what it looks like and how we can put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The first thing, the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize the time. Look at verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
We need to recognize the time. And there's three things that we need to recognize about the time. The first thing, recognizing the time means that we have to see the big opportunity. Paul begins by telling us that we are in a position. What does it say? We are in a position of understanding the present time. The word for time here has nothing to do with chronological time or calendars. It's the Greek term keros, and it points to an event, to a special occasion or special happening or big opportunity. Now think about this. Think about how most people live their lives. Many Christians fall into this pattern as well. Most people live their lives pursuing what they term the good life. And the good life, by most of the world's definition, is, is, is looking out for myself, is achieving all that I can be, is fulfilling all that my talents and skills will allow me to achieve, of living life to climb the ladder as high as I possibly can, to go up whatever totem pole I choose to go up, to live for me. What is missing from that definition of the good life? Jesus. There is no mention of Jesus in that definition of the good life. And most of the world goes about their life, every aspect of their life, education, work, marriage, family, uh, hobbies, sporting endeavors, uh, retirement, vacations, every aspect of life. Most people go through that, through life, without ever thinking about Jesus. The focus is on themselves and how they can fulfill their destiny and be all that they can be. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus, must think differently. We must think radically different. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to recognize the opportunity that is before us, the opportunity that we have to live our lives for Jesus. And when you recognize that opportunity, it will drastically change your perspective on life. You will no longer be thinking about only about yourself, about the me, myself, and I aspect of living. You will turn to think about what is important and about living for who is important. This is what Paul says. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. He's making this point. For from him and through him and for him are all things. For from Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus are all things. To Jesus be the glory forever. Everything about our lives as followers of Jesus should be for Jesus and for his glory. God did not design this world and create me for my own personal satisfaction. Amen. He did not create me so that I could be the center of attention. And guess what? He didn't create you for your personal satisfaction or so that you could be the center of attention. Jesus is meant to be the center of attention in our lives, and my time is in his hands. And the purpose of my life is to live that life for him, serving him for my enjoyment in his glory. Paul says, if you recognize the time, 
you need to understand that there is the big opportunity for you to live for Jesus. Secondly, recognizing the time also means that we need to wake up. You see that word slumber in verse 11? Is the root, that's the root word for the word hypnotize. It's a state which resembles sleep, but it's not actually sleep. It's like, a, it's like you're in a trance. Paul is saying, wake up from your trance. Don't live life in a sluggish, dulled, hypnotic, trance-like state. This is the state that the world wants to lull you into. Here, Paul is moving from time as keros, as a big momentous event or opportunity, to time in a momentary sense. He's saying the schedule has arrived. Your alarm clock or the phone, your, your alarm on your phone, it's going off and it's ringing loudly because it is time to wake up. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt like you're just going through the motions? Like day after day you wake up and it's kind of the same thing. There's really no meaning there's really no purpose. I wake up in Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. They're all kind of alike, and the weeks run into months, and the months run into years, and you feel like you could do it in your sleep. It's because you are doing it in your sleep. That's what Paul's saying here. Wake up and recognize the time has come. You see, the world wants to lull you into a false sleep, a sleep where you don't even think about God. The world wants to ruin you. And Paul's saying, wake up, get out of the trance-like state you're in. Recognizing the time means we have to see that there is a big opportunity. It means that we need to recognize that it is time to wake up. And then thirdly, Recognize the time also means knowing our salvation is near. Look at the end of verse 11. We need to know the time because, look what it says, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. This means that the clock is ticking. Salvation means deliverance. And salvation is only given to those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God promises you deliverance. He promises you salvation. And in the Bible, salvation is referred to in one of three tenses. Salvation is referred in the past tense. Jesus justifies us when we come to believe in him. This means that Jesus deals with the penalty of our sin. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are justified and the penalty of your sin is taken care of. That happens in the past. Salvation is also referenced in the Bible in the present tense. Jesus is sanctifying us. He is making us more and more like himself, which means he is dealing in the present with the power of sin in our lives. Salvation is also mentioned in the future tense in regards to our glorification, which means someday upon death or upon Jesus' return, we are going to be made like Christ and we are no longer going to have the presence of sin in our life. Sin is going to be gone. So in the Bible, salvation is mentioned in the past tense, present tense, and future tense. Here in verse 11, Paul is referring to the future tense. 
you followers of Jesus will be saved. And know that your time of salvation is nearer than you think. The clock is ticking and you do not have a whole lot of time. Now it's likely here that Paul is referring to the second coming of Jesus, the time when Jesus is going to come back and receive unto himself all of those who are living and still believe in Jesus. It's likely he's talking about his second coming, but he also could be referring to the fact that life is just short. Our time is limited, and because our time is limited, we better stop wasting time. Now, I try to think of a gentle way to say this. I didn't come up with one. So here it is. You are going to die. I am going to die. Every one of us in this room is going to die. Unless Jesus returns to get us first, we are all going to die. I am 49 years old, and I am realizing that my time is short. If you are 70 years old and you are here this morning, you know your time is short. Likely shorter than mine. But maybe not. I don't know for sure. I don't know what tomorrow brings. If you're here this morning and you're 22 or you're 14 years old, I know you don't think your time is short. But your time is short. Paul is saying, in recognizing the time, know that your salvation is near, that your time is short. You are dying. Tim McGraw, the country singer, has a song. It's called Live Like You Are Dying. It's the story of a man who's diagnosed in his early 40s with a terminal illness. And he starts to live with a new sense of urgency. He goes skydiving. He goes Rocky Mountain climbing. He goes bull riding on a bull named Fu Manchu. I was going to sing it for you, but I thought that would clear the house. He lives with a new sense of urgency and he starts to focus on the important things of life, the people who that he loves. It changes what he values. He recognizes what is important in life because he knows he is dying. There's a phrase that's repeated over and over again in the song. Someday, I hope you get to ch the chance to live like you were dying. Someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. You are dying. And you have this huge opportunity in front of you to live your life for Jesus. And Paul's saying, wake up, live your life for Jesus. Recognize that your time is short. Don't miss the opportunity that God has given to you to live for Jesus to live the beautiful life that he has for you. And when you do, you will change not only the way you view time, you will change the way you use time. And you will come to use the time that God has given you well. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. If you only have so much time, you are going to use that time well. Verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
Again, a reference to our limited time and the closeness of our salvation. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. How are we to use the time that God's given us? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul here tells us to do two things. Now, he is not making a suggestion here. He is not saying, hey, you know what? If you want to, what, you know, put off the deeds of darkness and why don't you try putting on the armor of light? No, he is saying here, he is giving us a command. This is an instruction. This is, these are important things for us to do. Paul is using a military metaphor here to remind us that this is serious. We are in a spiritual war. We are in a battle for our lives. We are in a battle against spiritual forces of evil that want to destroy us. Look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, again a military metaphor, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual war, and we are called to be vigilant. We must use our time well. You are in a war against an enemy that wants to destroy you. I cannot say this strongly enough. There is a devil, and he is real, and he wants to destroy you. So the first thing Paul tells us is put aside the deeds of darkness. He tells us what those deeds of darkness are in verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. If you're going to be a living sacrifice in live loving others, using your time well means there are some things that you have to put aside. There are some things that you just cannot do because they are incompatible with living life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And they are incompatible with loving others. The first one, give up carousing and drunkenness. In other words, do not live for meaningless pleasures or things that you think are pleasurable. Now, there are many things that are covered here, but clearly, the most obvious thing that is covered here is excessive alcohol use or drug consumption. Give it up. Do not deceive yourself into believing that this is good for you. These things are horrible for you. Paul lists them and identifies them as deeds of darkness. They are self-indulgences that will hurt you and will hurt others because they are deeds of darkness. Give up carousing and drunkenness. Second, give up sexual immorality and debauchery. In other words, don't live for sex. 
There are so many sexual temptations in our world, and we live in a world that encourages us to engage in every one of them. And not only engage in them, engage in them because they will give you fulfillment. If you engage in those sexual activities, they will give you life, they will give you joy, they will give you pleasure. Those are lies. Those are lies from the one who wants to destroy you. Here, Paul is identifying all forms of sexual immorality. Adultery, acts of homosexuality, pornography, sex outside of marriage. These are all forms of sexual immorality. And yes, sexual immorality does include sex by a couple who is in a loving dating relationship and not married. That is sexual immorality. Even if you are engaged to be married, if you are engaging in sexual conduct, it is sexual immorality. Paul says stay away from sexual immorality and debauchery. They are deeds of darkness, and they will hurt you, and they will hurt others. Third, give up dissension and jealousy. In other words, don't live in and for strife. Now, these are relational sins that we don't often think of as a big deal, but they are just as big a deal as the four I've already mentioned. Have you ever noticed that there are some people that just like to get in arguments? They just like to cause dissension. They're kind of angry themselves, so they want you to be angry, and they want you to be upset as well. You ever notice those? I mean, those people, you you giggle because you have those kind of people in in your life. Maybe you giggle because you are one of those kind of people. But there are people that everywhere they go, they bring with them dissension. Are you a person that brings people together? Are you a person that gathers people together? Are you a person that when you're around, people are generally more happy than when you're not around? Or when you come, do you bring division and separation and angst into the relationship? These are questions you should ask yourself to try to figure out, am I a person of dissension and jealousy? Is, 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 it, is jealousy like burning in my heart? Do I like look at other people and say, oh, they got more, than, I wish I had what they had. I don't have all that, I want this. Paul says, dissension and jealousy are deeds of darkness. Choose them and it's gonna cause hurt for you and for others. Now, I want to be clear about this. Paul isn't just saying, do not do these things. Paul's just not trying to limit our good time. Amen. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than that. Paul's saying that if you choose carousing and drunkenness, if you choose debauchery and sexual immorality, if you choose dissension and jealousy, if you choose these things, you are choosing darkness. You are choosing to open a door, open a window, Open a portal to those evil forces of darkness that want to destroy you, and you are essentially saying, come on in and get me. Paul is pleading with us. Don't choose these things. They're deeds of darkness. God wants the best for you. And carousing and drunkenness, debauchery and sexual immorality, dissension and jealousy are not the best for you. 
They are darkness. And God wants us to live a beautiful life in light. Now, Paul goes on. He doesn't just throw a negative command or instruction on us. He gives us something positive to focus on. Paul mostly often does this in his teaching. He starts with a negative and then moves to a positive. Do not put on, put off, excuse me, the deeds of darkness, but do something. And what does he tell us to do? He says, put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul doesn't say, put on deeds of light, right? Put off the deeds of darkness. It would make sense if he said, put on deeds of light. But he doesn't. He doesn't because Paul recognizes that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And deeds of light are not enough to win that battle. You need more than deeds of light. You need the armor of light. So what is the armor of light? Let me help you. Who is the armor of light? Jesus Christ is the armor of light. Look at verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. This is the positive thing. Yeah, put off the deeds of darkness, but put on Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul here is causing us, calling our attention to the armor of light. He's using this military metaphor but Paul is also calling our attention to holiness and righteousness. Sin is darkness. Holiness and righteousness is light. Paul is saying, put on Jesus Christ's holiness and righteousness and walk in obedience. When we look at the Ten Commandments of Love, the Ten Commandments of Love that we've gone through are just not fuzzy, happy feelings that we feel for those around us so that we can be in better relationships. The Ten Commandments of love are actually that. They're commandments. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. But in order to walk in obedience, we have to put on Jesus Christ because he gives us his righteousness and he gives us his holiness so that we can walk in obedience out of love for Jesus Christ and in order to love those that God has put in our lives. Put on the armor of light. Clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Put on his holiness and his righteousness so that you can walk in obedience. But how do I do that? How do I put on Jesus Christ? How do I clothe myself in Jesus Christ? How do I walk in obedience? You grow grass. Yes, you grow grass. Now, here's what I mean by that. A couple of weeks ago, I was with a bunch of guys, and we were talking about holiness and righteousness and walking in obedience. We didn't use the phrase putting on the armor of light. We didn't say clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. But one of the guys in the group, Mark Reifer, a friend of mine, Mike, goes here to Calvary Church. He's been a deacon in the past. Some of you may know him. Mike told a story that was very helpful to the group. It was particularly helpful to me to understand what it looks to put on Jesus' holiness and righteousness and walk in obedience. So I want to share this story with you. 
Mike has a friend who has a neighbor. Mike's friend's neighbor lives next to a guy who has the best yard on the block. Like he has the grass that you yard guys and you yard gals look at and think, I want that lawn. That grass is full, it's rich, it's green. It's like the grass you want to run in and roll around in because it's so beautiful. So Mike's friend asks his neighbor, how is your lawn so beautiful? The neighbor's response, I grow grass. I grow grass. I make my yard hospitable to grass. And when the yard is full of grass, there is no room for weeds. Weeds do not grow where grass is lush and full and green and healthy. I just grow grass. So for you and for me, to put on Jesus Christ's righteousness and holiness, to walk in obedience, means that we need to grow grass. Well, how do you grow grass? What does that look like? Well, let me commend all of you here this morning, because here this morning you are growing grass. When you are in church, when you are assembled with other believers, with people who are looking for Jesus, when you are assembled and gathered and worshiping together, Christ is uniquely present in this place, and you are growing grass. Do not miss the importance of this event every week in your life, because you are growing grass. When you study the Bible, you are growing grass. When you pray, you are growing grass. When you spend time with other believers, encouraging them and being encouraged by them, you are growing grass. When you take communion with another believer, you are growing grass. When you say yes to baptism, you are growing grass. When you love and serve others, you are growing grass. And when you grow grass, you don't have any time for weeds in your life. So, grow grass. I love the way that Paul starts this summary verse, verse 12. Let us, let us put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You notice how the apostle Paul includes himself let us. This is not an individual endeavor. We do this together as the body of Christ in this place. Together, we recognize the time. We have an opportunity. We need to wake up to that opportunity, and we need to know that our time is limited. And when we do that together, together we will put off the deeds of darkness, and we will put on the armor of light and live the beautiful life that God has intended for us. That is the call on every one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. Put off the deeds of darkness and clothe yourself in Jesus Christ by putting on the armor of light. And together, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we do this.